0: Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, not only did you powerfully display your ability to save through Jesus at the cross, but you have not left your people without power as they live their lives awaiting the return of Jesus from heaven we are abundantly grateful that we have the Helper who is the Spirit, the third person of the triune God, God himself, who indwells every believer in Jesus Christ, enabling them to have the sweet comforts of God while empowering them to walk in such a way that they honor God. I pray, Lord, that we would see today the vital connection between the Spirit of God and our ongoing relationship with you, primarily in your word and prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I began the first sermon in this series by asking some what-ifs. What if God made it possible for his beloved cherished people, to have intimate fellowship with Him, whereby they would actually know Him, love Him, enjoy Him, depend upon Him, take strength in Him, and actually learn to become like Him? And what if... God accomplished this greatest of all victories in order to make such a priceless fellowship possible, a victory that would come at the expense of his own son. Furthermore, what if God provided certain means, certain ways, certain methods for his people to regularly enjoy this fellowship with him And what if those people lived in ignorance towards those means? As I explained last week, the whole point of this sermon series, Communion with God, seeks to not only combat that ignorance, but also to train you in how to practice ongoing, intimate fellowship with the God who made you. Once again, The aim of this series is to equip you to practice communion with God through the God-given means of Bible meditation and prayer. And this is how I have defined communion, if you recall from last time. Communion with God is receiving God's loving communication to us while joyfully responding through our union with Jesus. So communion with God, as we talked about, includes his loving communication of himself to us, primarily through his word, the Bible, while we return both communication and worship in prayer to him as made possible through our relationship in Jesus Christ, the one who paid for our sins and has made it all possible. And often, as I related this word, communion, as I'm going to use it over the course of this series, it's used interchangeably with words like fellowship and relationship. So when you hear communion, you should think of connection and relationship and intimate fellowship with God himself. And the goals, the goals of this series are twofold. Number one, to increase your knowledge of communion with God through Bible meditation and prayer. And number two, to equip you to practice communion with God through Bible meditation and prayer. And after today, we're going to have four more messages. Two on meditation, two on prayer. And one of those on meditation is going to inform you, and one of those on meditation is going to equip you. And one of those on prayer is going to inform you, and one of those on prayer is going to equip you. So that you not only know, but you understand how to put all this into practice. And last week, we saw sermon number one, that God has made joyful communion with him possible for believers in Jesus Christ. And today, we build on this idea of communion with God. Sermon number two, our big idea this morning, Christians need to commune with God daily. We need to commune with God daily. Not only has God made communion with him possible for believers in Jesus, but it is actually vital for believers to practice this communion with God each and every day, I am convinced, from his word. Paul, the apostle, he clearly communicates this truth, I think, in his letter to the Galatians. And we're going to primarily focus on the verses that were just read. Galatians 5, 16 through the end of the chapter. And in this letter, the constant need for divine fellowship is clearly communicated by the Apostle Paul to the local churches of Galatia. As he's writing to them, he's clearly communicating the need for them to have divine fellowship on an ongoing basis. Notice with me he commands the Galatian believers in verse 16, look there with me, to walk by the Spirit. Then in verse 18, he commands them to be led by the Spirit. And then in verse 25, he tells them to keep in step with the Spirit. These instructions strongly encourage intimate, ongoing communion with God as a believer walks with him in A relationship. But to apply this accurately to our lives today, we need to understand some things. Number one, we need to know what Paul meant by those words, walk by, be led by, and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Number two, we need to understand why this activity is so important for believers as they battle against sin in their lives. And number three, we must grasp how to conduct such a walk in order to enjoy the great blessings that spring from it. So notice all three of these verbs. Verse 16, walk by. Verse 18, led by. Verse 25, keep in step with. They all essentially refer to the same action towards the Holy Spirit. Walking by the Spirit Being led by the Holy Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit all essentially refer to the Holy Spirit's guidance and power over a Christian's life and the Christian's dependence upon that guidance. These terms, they explain the Spirit-controlled life of a believer who has learned to depend upon the Lord at each and every step of life. To walk by the Spirit, in other words, my friends, is to walk hand in hand with the Spirit in constant reliance upon Him. And the command, walk by the Spirit, in verse 16, that's going to be the primary focus of this message. Because walking illustrates well the idea of the Spirit-controlled life, one that is marked by a daily, ongoing communion with God Himself. So the command is to walk daily with God. Now please grasp this. This is crucial. It is crucial for Christians to walk by the Spirit because a spiritual battle rages in us and around us. The internal battle that each and every one of us, you and I, if we're believers, the internal battle that each and every one of us believers faces daily is called by Paul in verse 16, look there, the desires of the flesh. According to verse 17, the Holy Spirit who resides inside all believers, if you didn't know that, know this, that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God Himself, the Holy Spirit, He comes and actually resides inside of you. It's an amazing miracle. He does this. And according to verse 17, the Holy Spirit, who resides inside of all believers, He wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against Him. This word flesh is particularly important for us to understand as it refers to the internal battle that Christians continually face. Though the word can, and sometimes does in the New Testament, simply refer to the human body, it often represents something more, as it often represents the limitations of the human condition that have been imposed upon humanity by sin. So it uses it in a derogatory sense. The flesh is that still broken part of Christians that struggles in opposition towards God. It is that sinful inclination that believers still face and must battle each and every day. It's that part of us that we battle against that wants to do our own thing in opposite direction to God's thing. That's the flesh. But in verse 16, Paul writes, That if Christians walk by the Spirit, they will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, if Christians walk under the ongoing guidance and empowerment of the Spirit of God, then Christians will actually be able to resist the sinful desires of their inner cravings. They will begin to resist the flesh. My friends, God has not left you as slaves to sin if you know Jesus. Not only has he converted you and given you a transformed heart if you know Jesus, but in Jesus Christ he's also given you his spirit, whereby if you walk by him, you can begin to slay sin in your life. Notice the deeds of the flesh as Paul describes them in verses 19 through 21. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, Paul says. So in other words, my friends, anytime you lust, anytime you erupt in anger at another person, anytime you have bitter jealousy towards another... Anytime you sin, essentially, you are committing a work of the flesh. And these evil deeds should be resisted by Christians, for they're the exact opposite of the Spirit-empowered graces which should mark the children of God. And these graces are mentioned in verses 22 and 23. It says the fruit of the Spirit. So here's the fruit of what comes from walking with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God's way, the way of the Spirit, is a far better way than the way of the flesh. And the way Christians resist fleshly desires and bear the fruit of the Spirit is by walking by the Spirit. Once again, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, if Christians live under the Holy Spirit's guidance and control, they will be able to resist temptation and display God-honoring character in their lives. Over the course of their lives, piece by piece, year by year, Decade by decade even, over the course of their lives, by walking by the Spirit, believers will be able to battle and defeat fleshly temptations and walk in ever-increasing holiness before God. We will be in the war, and we will be gradually winning the war. But, my friends, and this is where I struggled for years, we must understand how to actually walk by the Spirit If we are to defeat the flesh and live lives of increasing holiness before our God. You may say, well, walk by the Spirit, that sounds wise, that sounds good, I get that, I want that, how do I do it? How do I walk by the Spirit? And I would tell you that this phrase, walk by the Spirit, didn't come out of nowhere. He utters this phrase after having said all that he has already said in the previous five chapters of this letter. And that's where we're going to turn in a moment. As important as the Spirit's guidance and empowerment are, believers must recognize precisely how to walk hand-in-hand hand with Him in order to resist fleshly temptations and bear spiritual fruit in their lives. And I'm convinced, based upon Paul's letter here, that Christians walk by the Spirit through a continued faith in Jesus. A faith which is informed and and strengthened by God's word and is vitally connected to prayer. In other words, a faith that is empowered by communion with God. So in order to grasp this, we have to see the connection between walking by the Spirit and Paul's statements earlier in this letter to the Galatians regarding the Spirit's connection to a believer's faith. Turn back with me to to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Here in Galatians 3, Paul is rebuking the believers of Galatia because of their willingness to return to the law of Moses for their direction in life, as it has been urged upon them by some most unhelpful teachers. And they're they're tempted to do this rather than continuing with their spirit-empowered faith in Jesus through the gospel message that had been declared to them. Notice verse 1, Paul rebukes them. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? So then Paul proceeds to make an argument for them. And he argues that these Christians originally received the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God when they simply believed in Jesus Christ upon hearing God's word, the gospel. They didn't get the Spirit by obeying the law of Moses. They got the Holy Spirit of God when they believed upon Jesus. And Paul rhetorically asks them in verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is obvious. It was for them, it is for us if we know Christ. They received the Holy Spirit when they believed in Jesus, not when they attempted to obey the law of Moses. He then asks them some further provoking questions in verses five and six. Notice those. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with Faith, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The Spirit he supplied to them, they're able to perform great things in his name, not because they've attempted to keep the law of Moses and its commands, but because they've had faith in Jesus the Son, just like Abraham who believed God and had his belief count to him as righteousness. The blessings of God come through faith in Jesus the Son of God. And Paul writes similarly in verse 14. Look there. He writes, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, the blessings of God come through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way we enjoy the blessings of God, including the gift of the Spirit of God, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. If you want the Spirit of God, you must have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you want the strength of the Spirit of God, you must focus in on your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's point in this chapter is that the Galatian Christians first received the Holy Spirit when they believed in Jesus by simply depending upon Him from their hearts. And the truth about Jesus Christ was communicated to these people through God's word as they heard the gospel proclaimed to them. Look at verses 1 and 2 once again. He writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What Paul is saying is, you receive the Spirit when you first heard the good news about Jesus Christ crucified. Paul and others came into the region and they proclaimed Jesus Christ and they heard of Jesus Christ. They heard the word of God and they believed in Jesus Christ. And as a result of their believing in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Jesus Christ came upon them. They heard the good news, the word about Jesus, they believed and the Spirit came so instead of returning to their old paths, Paul is urging these believers to continue in the same spirit, through the same, sp- through the same faith, and according to the same gospel word. He doesn't want them to go back to the old way. He wants them to continue with the message about Jesus, the word of God. Paul wants these believers to continue in the Holy Spirit's guidance and strength by pressing forward in their faith, a faith which comes through frequent hearing of gospel truth in God's word. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And oftentimes believers will read that and they'll say, okay, well, the only way a person can believe and be saved is by hearing the word. And that's true. But what they fail to understand is that this is a verse not just for new Christians or people who are about to become Christians. This verse is for all Christians. I put myself here. So faith in Joe, my continued growth in faith, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I grow, I come to faith by hearing the word of Christ. Christ. And I grow in my faith by hearing the word of Christ. So they are to continue with the Spirit by continually looking to the gospel word in faith. All of that is prior. And then you get to chapter 5, and he tells them to walk by the Spirit. And they already know what he means when he says that. Because he's already been talking with that kind of language. Now, look at chapter 4 with me. That's the word. Let's see how prayer connects. Galatians 4, verse 5. In this chapter, Paul shows the effects of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians. And those who are, in verse 5, adopted as sons into God's spiritual family. Do you see that wonderful expression there? Adoption as sons. If you know Jesus... You've been adopted as a son or a daughter into the family of God. What an esteemed, privileged place you have in Jesus. Well, he writes then in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, it's clear from this verse that the Holy Spirit has already given the children of God A heart attitude that enables them to cry out to their Father God with a dependent intimacy. And this intimacy relates that his children are in fact free from sin's bondage and are marked by a relational personal knowledge of God himself. Look at verses 7 and 8 and see this relational knowledge that believers have with God. Verse 7 So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And then notice verse 9. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. God's blood-bought children know him and have access to Him through intimate prayer. The believer, therefore, already has an intimate connection to God through the Holy Spirit and knows God personally as a loving Father while expressing the believer's faith in God through the warmest of prayers. And as verse 6 tells us, these prayers can actually be addressed with such close language as Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father... (laughs) I don't really use that in my prayer life, but that's kind of what this is conveying. It's it's an intimacy that allows you to draw near in a precious way. This expression, Abba, Father, it expresses a nearness to God and a deep trust in His acceptance. So, the Holy Spirit through the gospel work of Jesus, has provided believers with the privilege of personal, dependent prayer with their Father God. And these prayers, my friends, are a vital component to walking by the Spirit so as to not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's given us access to God whereby we can beseech Him and have strength against sinful temptations. Now look with me at one more text. Galatians 5, look at verse 5. In Galatians 5, verse 5, Paul again shows the vital connection between a Christian's faith and the Spirit's work in his or her life. Notice verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So how do we, hope for the, how do we wait for the hope of righteousness? Through the Spirit. And how do we do this through the Spirit? By faith. This hope of righteousness appears to be the hope that righteous deeds will be found in one's life. And I think this because the righteousness of love towards others is exampled by Paul in verse 6 and in verses 13 through 15, where he proceeds to talk about the loving service towards other people. So I think he's talking about in these righteous deeds, the righteous deeds that we would actually live out in love towards other people. Now notice verse 5 carefully. This hope of righteousness is realized through the Spirit by faith. This tells us that the instrument the Holy Spirit uses to bring about such righteous deeds is faith itself, a dependence of heart upon the personal saving God. So how are you to grow in loving other people? How are you to grow in righteous deeds? Well, you can only do that through the Spirit. And the Spirit only does that in you through, by faith. And a growing dependence upon God as we learn to hear from Him in His Word and as we learn to go to Him with intimate prayer. Here in verse 5, the results of faith is called righteousness. Whereas in verse 22 of chapter 5, it is called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let's summarize what these texts tell us today. Christians walk by the Spirit through a continued faith in Jesus Christ, which is informed by God's Word and is vitally connected to intimate prayer. This continued faith is a dependence in heart upon Jesus the Son through His gospel word, It is a heart dependence upon the Father God through warm, prayerful appeals. And it is a heart dependence upon the Holy Spirit as he works this faith into action. So my friends, the primary ways that Christians lean upon or walk by the Holy Spirit of God are through the various means of grace which foster greater faith in our hearts. God has given us means. And that when those means are approached appropriately, it grows our faith, which means we walk closely with the Spirit, which means we have strength to fight against sin. J.I. Packer, he wrote of the divine resources of the Spirit's work in this way. The Spirit works through means, through the objective means of grace, Namely, biblical truth, prayer, fellowship, worship, and the Lord's Supper. The Spirit shows his power in us by making these regular means effective to change us for the better and for the wiser as we go along. Therefore, Christians Christians must practice joyful communion with God each and every day in order to walk by the Spirit and not succumb to the desires of the flesh. Now, I can't point you to a command in Scripture that says, you must read and meditate upon your Bible every day or else you are sinning. And I would also admit that for hundreds of years, the Church of Jesus Christ in the Western world did not even have physical copies of God's Word in their language to read Sadly so. But I would say that if any believer is going to walk by the Spirit, that believer must have God's Word regularly brought into their life, not only through the proclamation, but also through the ongoing meditation and consideration of it. And if any believer is going to grow in the Spirit and grow in their fight against sin, then they too must be those who make a life commitment to intimate prayer with God in light of what His Word says to them. Believers in Jesus need to engage with God daily in intimate fellowship by carefully applying gospel truth through His Word and by pouring out their hearts to Him in affectionate prayer. These are vital means which grow a believer's faith, which lead to walking by the Spirit, and which result in resisting the flesh while bearing spiritual fruit. I did not say this was easy. I understand that many of us struggle to understand what God's Word says. I understand that His Word is complex There are points that are so easy a little child can understand. And there are elements of it that baffle the wisest biblical scholars and most godly men and women on the planet. It is God's word. What would you expect? He makes himself accessible to little ones, and yet he shows his mastery of wisdom to all of those who think themselves smart. His word is the communication of God himself And God himself has shown us in his word that he welcomes sinners who have been redeemed to come before him and say, Abba, Father. He's opened up this kind of a door, and that door, though it be a challenge for us, though we need each other to help each other in this, that door is the only way you will grow in your walk with God. So let's bring this all home with three realities. Reality number one Non-Christians, non-Christians are still on good terms with their flesh. Non-Christians are still on good terms with their flesh. My friends, you cannot walk by the Spirit if you do not have the Spirit. And the only way to have the Spirit is through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Galatians 3, verse 1 and 2 Paul says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Jesus was shared. He was proclaimed. He was crucified for the sins of sinners. And the only way they can receive God's blessing, God's gift, is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is only received through faith in Jesus the Son, the one who was crucified for the sins of sinners. And my friends, understand today that Jesus, God's Son, died on the cross to pay for your sins and my sins. If you put your faith in Him, then He is your Savior. Your sins have been paid for. He died for you. You must believe in Him. You must repent of your sins and embrace the Savior in faith, and you will be saved. And upon your salvation, God's Spirit will come upon you not in some way that you will physically feel, but in a way that over the course of years and decades you will see God has been with me, the Spirit has been resident inside of me because I am not who I once was. That's how you tell the Spirit is with you. The bulk of the people in our world do not have the Spirit of God and remain on good terms with their fleshly desires because they do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. But Jesus has made a salvation possible that not only frees sinners from the consequences of their sins, but it frees them also from slavery to fleshly desires. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, praise God, if I'm in Christ, there's no condemnation. And then he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus for the law, from the law of sin and death. Free from condemnation, free from sins and mastery over my life. Through Christ, my friends, you can be set free from sin, its consequences, and its power. So will you trust in Jesus in order to be free from sin and to obtain the Spirit of God who will enable you to battle your sinful desires? That's the first reality. Second reality Christians are in a constant state of war with the flesh, and I fear that some of you don't understand that. Christians are in a constant state of war with the flesh. We must walk by the Spirit so as to not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh are in a constant conflict one that we experience every day in our bodies, one that we experience every day in our relationships with others, one that we experience in our aspirations and our priorities and our outlook on life. Galatians 5, verse 17, The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, it says. And these sinful desires, these desires of the flesh, these These desires are most strong, very strong, in fact, stronger than us if we are left to our own strength. But we are not left on our own, praise God, for we have the Spirit of God to help us. But we will get nowhere if we fail to recognize that we are in a war. We cannot win the battle if we do not recognize the artillery barrage or the tank maneuvers or the infantry advancements that are happening all around us, yes, even right inside of us. Indeed, we must see that we are in constant war with sin. The victory has already been made sure through Jesus, but oh, the skirmish continues. Oh, the conflict continues. We continue to wage war against this flesh, and the only way we win is is with dependence upon God in faith as He's revealed to us in His communication to us. That's reality two. And reality three is this. Christians must commune with God daily in order to fight their daily battle with sin. We must walk by the Spirit in order to not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we walk under the ongoing guidance and empowerment of the Spirit of God, then Christians, with ever-increasing strength and success, will be able to resist the sinful desires of the flesh. God, in his mysterious sovereignty, sometimes allows us to battle for a while, years even. But over the course of our lives, as we walk with God in his word and prayer, taking our relationship with him as the most serious thing, we begin to see one sin slayed after another to the point that when Jesus comes, we are far more holy than on the day when we first embraced Him in faith. This requires us to take up the arms of faith, and the weapons we take up are found squarely in our relationship with God Himself. Oh, my friends, our mightiest weapon is to engage the Holy Spirit of God, and we engage Him when we commune with God Himself. We must therefore build up our faith in Christ by carefully applying His Word and by pouring out our hearts to Him daily, even constantly, in prayer. For when we cling to God, He strengthens us for the battle, and we begin to live out the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We begin to look like kingdom people, and oh, the bliss when God's people walk in holiness with one another. Christians need to commune with God daily. He's made it possible, and now we must recognize that it's a need for us each day. We must see the great foe that is our flesh, and we must make communion with God our highest priority if we are to defeat our foe. So as we continue the series, would you once again please ask yourself, do I commune? With God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for not leaving us as orphans. Thank you for not leaving us as those who have no ability to fight back. Thank you for not leaving us hopeless. Thank you for not cutting off communication until the day Jesus returns. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to continue to have access to you. Through the communion with you that you have provided. I pray that your people, Riverside, would be those who so relish their relationship with you, who so guard their times with you, protecting it from the many other good things in their lives, Father, protecting it so that they can have that closeness with you, Father. And that, Lord, through that relationship, they would be able to fight back and no success against sin in their lives. Lord, you've provided this relationship. Help us to see our need of it each day until the day we see your son face to face. And we pray this in his precious name.